Welcome to Perspectives on Youth Sports. I'm Tony Segreto. Join us as we discuss the impact of youth sports with some of the great leaders of business, entertainment, and sports. To learn more, visit TonySegretoSports.com. And now for today's show. Today we have uh, an interesting, interesting story, one that, that goes directly to the heart of the mission of Tony Segreto Sports and perspectives in youth athletics. Our guests today are Dr. Maria McKenna and her husband, Mark McKenna, both of whom are professors at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, Dr. McKenna, Maria McKenna, is a uh, leads the Department of Africana Studies and Education Schooling and Society program. She has an expertise in community-based and youth-centered research methods. She focuses on youth voice and the value of the arts and civic engagement. Mark is a law professor at the University of Notre Dame. Um, he teaches and writes in the area of intellectual property. Probably saying to yourself, what do they have to do with youth athletics? Well, both Mark and his wife Maria, before moving to South Bend and going to Notre Dame, they lived in St. Louis, where there is a void of youth athletics in the area. Youth athletics had been dropped in many of the schools. There was no youth athletics in many of the communities. So they took it upon themselves to start a sports program. And years later, that sports program is not only still there, but it's thriving and growing. And oh yeah, that I mentioned that Mark was a walk-on at the University of Notre Dame and beat the odds, his own Rudy story with Coach Lou Holtz. It is an honor and a pleasure to bring on Dr. Maria McKenna today and Mark McKenna to talk about the change they made in St. Louis, how they went about bringing on the right coaches, the code of conduct for parents and coaches, and the fact that now this youth organization that they started has grown beyond anybody's expectations and what they see as the way of life that we should have in youth athletics. Well, Dr. McKenna and Mark McKenna, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. And, uh, you know, I'm sure when people heard the intro to this, they're going now, what in the world are two professors at Notre Dame? What do they have to do with youth athletics? And um, I think when they hear this story, uh, it, it's going to be not only inspiring to others, but informative in a way of, of how you transformed an area before coming to South Bend, Indiana. So first of all, thank you for joining us. And, and secondly, um, tell me uh, a little bit about uh, the genesis of what you did and um, explain to people exactly the, the, the move you made in St. Louis before coming to South Bend. Sure. So we were part of a community called Maplewood Richmond Heights, right outside of the, the city borders of St. Louis, Missouri. And we had lived there for a number of years. We chose the, the, the location that we lived in because of its diversity, because of its um, really innovative and interesting school district. And while we were there, the school district was under some pretty significant financial strain. And as a result, they ended up having to cut the budget for their middle school sports. 
And that was not a decision that came lightly, nor was it something that the district wanted to do, but it was a pretty bare bones budget at that point. And they were really struggling to make ends meet without, a, without an increase in tax revenue to support the schools. And so that was really the backdrop for how how MRH Youth Sports came into existence. MRH Youth Sports has uh, has been thriving and has really become kind of its own ecosystem since since you started this program. Mark, can, can you weigh in a little bit on um, what it was like getting this program together, um, kind of having people in the area buy in and to make it sustainable? Yeah, so, I mean, as Maria said, I mean, w one of the significant factors going into this was the loss of the middle school sports. The other thing was that um, there really weren't um, park district programs or local youth sports available generally to the kids in the area. The Catholic schools ran some leagues, but they were not, not as a general rule open to any of the other kids. And there were a couple of fledgling leagues that were sort of isolated in particular sports. and. Um, so it was just really a group of parents, uh, myself and really two other people kind of got together and said, you know, we should do better than this, that these kids deserve all the chances to uh, have athletics available to them that everybody does in the adjacent towns. And it was really just a matter of a lack of organizational, uh, well, lack of uh, time and energy spent by some parents and then lack of organizational coordination. So there was a there, is, there was and is a big um, community center in, in the city that has uh, basketball courts and swimming pool and that controls that controls some of the public fields. Um, and the school district was, uh, you know, had a bunch of facilities. And so the, the key for us getting it together was really getting everyone to participate. And so the school district, because it was uh, interested in, you know, figuring out ways to help um, allowed us to have access to their facilities. We had to convince the sort of the rec center people to do the same thing. And then it was really a, uh, just a, um, you know, a, a kind of grassroots effort to get all the parents and get people in the community to participate. Uh, as it turns out, that wasn't actually that hard. There was obviously a lot of pent up demand for this because um, once we identified the right people as the sort of nodes, you know, to get the students involved, um, you know, our, our, our enrollment the very first year, which we, in which we just did soccer in the fall, uh, was like off the charts. And we were um, actually running out of field space even in the first year. Well, you know, setting this up is one thing, and it's not an easy task to sort of form a league and have everybody buy in to get fields. Um, the next step is is getting your coaches but getting coaches that do it the right way. Now, I know that both of you, uh, you, you, have, you have children, and we'll get into that in a, in a little bit, but um, one of the things that we're, the mission we're on here with Tony Cerrello Sports and Perspectives in Youth Athletics is doing it the right way and having uh, young athletes understand that they're all not going to be playing on Sunday. They're all not going to be playing in the NBA. They're all not going to be playing in the World Series. Uh, Mark, you're a perfect example. Walk-on athlete, uh, you know, at Notre Dame, and and uh, um, you made it happen. But you also knew that, you know, things were not going to end up in on Sundays uh, for an NFL team. So making that work in in that perspective, can you give us a sense of of how you weeded out the good from the not so good? Yeah, so I mean, the answer to that is that um, Maria and I both have 
background in athletics, and, and I've always been very strongly of the view that when, um, when youth sports are done right, they're incredibly valuable lessons for kids, and they, uh, you know, they teach kids about overcoming adversity and how to be part of a team and all kinds of things that translate to all, you know, any number of things elsewhere in life. But you know, way too often they're not done well, they're not done right, and it's usually the parents' fault when that's true. It's because the parents um, don't have the right perspective on it, and so that was a very significant emphasis for us from the beginning. Um, that had a lot to say with the people that we picked to be kind of central players in the administration of the organization. Um, and then we actually, right from the beginning, we wrote a kind of coach's code of conduct and a parent's code of conduct that everyone had to sign in order to participate. And it was very much an emphasis on uh, teaching kids skills and teaching kids teamwork. And, you know, especially at the young grades, a sort of de-emphasis of, you know, you're trying to play all the kids all the time, you know, play certain kids all the time so that you would win. Uh, there, we had, you know, had formal rules in the, in the organization that every kid played the same amount of time, no matter uh, what their ability level was. And so, um, you know, I think those things get harder to implement as the kids get older and they get, you know, junior high and high school. But at the youth level, um, it was, you know, very much our sense that this was, a, this was meant to be a community-based thing. If people wanted, you know, super competitive things, they could go to a club or something else. Maria, was that tough to enforce? And if it was, how did you enforce it? So the truth is, I am going to answer this from the standpoint of the parents. I think that it wasn't tough to enforce because this was a community that was waiting for community building spaces. They were a, a community and still are a community that really valued taking care of one another and taking care of one another's children. And that translated onto the field and into the sidelines with the parents. Now, I will say, like every organization, there's politics and there's sort of insider baseball and things that you have to figure out about who you're working with and, and <clears throat> excuse me, how you're working with them. But from the get-go, Mark and the other community individuals who were running this, this program were the examples themselves. They coached the way they wanted people to coach. They led the way they wanted people to act. And they made very clear what the expectations were for everyone, including the parents and children, about collegiality and goodness and kindness that were supposed to come out of uh, the work of youth sports. And that didn't negate thinking about hard work. It didn't negate thinking about competition or being supportive of, of skill building, but it did set the tone that permeated really across the league and I think still exists and has filtered into the high school athletics in particular in this community in a way that's really beautiful to watch a decade later. Well, I think that that in of itself is is to, quite frankly shocking to, to know that it's filtered that far because it, it proves that it can be done because I know that there are a lot of naysayers and a lot of doubters we say, you know, um, you're not going to make that change because competitiveness is competitiveness and people are going to want to win. And, you know, they can they can say yes all they want. But when it comes to, you know, the game, uh, they're going to pick those those great athletes. The, the success of this, has it has it gone beyond even your expectations? I mean, you're no longer there, uh, but but state championships have been won. They've been won the right way. Uh, sports have been growing. Mark, has it, did it surpass your expectation? Um, I don't think I can say it surpassed my expectation. As I, I think I said, I mean, and I think Maria captured, <clears throat> I think the community, 
um, was kind of thirsting for this. I mean, it just needed some organizational punch at the beginning. It needed somebody to kind of do it and set it up and get it rolling. And then I think it wasn't going to be that hard to sustain it. I do think that, you know, all organizations um, have these moments where I think it's you have to sort of go back to your basic uh, principles and make sure you're sort of paying constant attention to those. And so <clears throat> there's always a risk that at some point it'll drift and become something else. But I think there there continue to be enough people involved in the organization that were there from the beginning. Um, and then there's you know been some rotation of some new people and that, that combination has been healthy. Um, and I do, you know, I have to say, I, I, I'm, I'm not somebody who would, I would say that um, you shouldn't want these things to be competitive. I think life is competitive and that part of what youth sports is about is about teaching kids how to understand how to be competitive in a healthy way. And so they should want to win. They should want to win every game they want to play, but they shouldn't want to win so much that it trumps other kind of uh, values and it makes it so that you know so some kids aren't playing and kids are getting the wrong experience but they should you know and i think the trick is for adults to teach that balance and adults get it wrong a lot yeah it's a slippery slope for sure uh maria I, i'm going to read this because I, I i don't think i can do it justice if i don't read it properly okay sure. it, it part part of your expertise um and and we've let people know exactly what you're doing but part of your expertise is a qualitative researcher with expertise in community-based and youth-centered research methods and you focus on youth voice okay and and that's that's what i think one of the things we we need to talk about is do we really listen to our young people? Um, an example is, you know, my daughter played softball for a number of years. And after her trap fourth or fifth travel year, she said, I really don't want to play travel anymore. Uh, I want to experience, you know, my friends. I still want to play and I want to be competitive and I'll play high school, but I don't want to play travel anymore. Um, as a parent, you need to listen to that. Uh, I'm not sure all parents do. I have witnessed how some parents have it. So how do we get that across? Wow, that's a really hard question. I think that when I think about youth voice, one of the things that's that's front and center in my mind is how infrequently the adults actually ask children how, how you're doing, how they're doing. Uh, and we don't often think through that moment where we have a choice about signing up for the next league or the next travel thing or the next level of play in any one particular sport, I think often as parents, we think that that's the next right thing to do. And we don't even ask. And we might be surprised at, at some of the answers from the children that we're asking. And so when I'm talking about youth-centered research and when I'm thinking about the work that I do, the pretty simple grain of truth is you start with just asking the question. What do you think? How are you doing? How is it going? What's the next right thing for you? When it comes to anything, whether it's youth sports or academics in, in school or other activities or, or ways of being and knowing in the world, we don't take the time to listen uh, to what they have to say. And they have important things to say. One of the things that, that this youth league in St. Louis really, I think, reminded us of and reminded me of in particular is that when everybody has a clear sense of, <clears throat> excuse me, when everybody has a clear sense of what the vision is, even the children benefit from that because the children can then articulate, this is going the way it's supposed to, or 
this coach or this team isn't feeling right. And so if we teach children at a younger age, at, at young ages, to be able to articulate what they think and how they feel about the programs they're in, we are providing them with tools to be advocates for themselves later on when teams or other opportunities don't feel right or do go off the rails or there is a coach that is abusive or problematic or a parent in that respect. And so giving kids that opportunity is key to, to the, the research that I do. Um, a, a friend of mine who has uh, been a very successful youth baseball coach over the years said um, he rates his success by how many of his players want to sign up and play for him next year. And, and I think that's, that's a wonderful way to look at it because providing a safe environment, um, environment where you feel you have value, and a, an environment where you feel you can speak no matter at what age is what our youth is looking for. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you both agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, as I said, I think when you do youth sports right, those are some of the things they ought to be teaching. They ought to be teaching kids how to think about themselves as members of teams and not just, I mean, which both means learning how to subordinate kind of your own goals to the team. But it also means learning how to value your role in the team and feel like you're included and that you contribute something important. Uh how would what would you say to to people uh, and to parent your parents yourself and and if you could share with 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 the audience kind of I, I, I uh, find it interesting as to when your children were looking into what sports they were to play um, let tell people what what did you tell them yeah so that's kind of interesting because <clears throat> our kids at the end of the day all play sports that I never played um, which is I think sort of interesting. I mean, I, I was a, I sort of, what I think of as a sort of tr played the traditional three male sports when, at least where I was growing up, which was football, basketball, and baseball. Um, my, my boys, when they were younger, played baseball for a while. And, uh, our daughter, Julia, who's the second one played softball for a while. Both of them, all of them wound up saying, you know, this isn't really something I want to continue to do. And so they've all kind of picked other things. And our philosophy has always been that you have to do something where you're, you know, where you're active and where you're part of a team, but you can kind of pick whatever ones you want. And, you know, I, I, I think our goal was always, you know, pick something that you enjoy doing, that you're willing to work hard at and try to be good at, and that you are, are around people who, you know, are, are good influences. So I'll just, my daughter, I'll take it as an example, as a fencer, which she started doing because Maria did in college. Um, and she's kind of come kind of fallen in love with the sport and I think a significant part of that is that the coach she has is this amazing guy who is both a fantastic fencing coach but also is like just a really great kind of life influence for her and so I think you know I think she likes fencing but I actually think what she really likes is fencing for this coach and that makes a, a huge difference in the way she views sports with the other kids I mean I think we've all we are like every parent we we struggle with the kind of trying to find the right balance between making sure that they're having fun and playing with their friends, but giving them chances to kind of, you know, improve and uh, become better players if that's what they want to do. And so I'm sure we don't get that right 100% of the time, but that, you know, that's a kind of conversation we kind of constantly have with them. Do you ever find yourselves having to recalibrate as parents yourself? Oh my goodness, all the time, right? About everything, not just about sports. Uh, I think that recalibration is a, it, it's a great question and a great thing to think about as people engaged in work with children across all different fields, whether it's youth sports or uh, any other youth activity or just being parents. 
the recalibration happens in lots of ways. It happens when a sport isn't right for your child. It happens when your child is overwhelmed with schoolwork and they have to take back, uh, they have to take a step back from something they love. It happens when you realize, and, and I think we felt this really poignantly in our house, when you realize you're no longer the right person to be a youth coach in a particular field, that it's time to step aside and let somebody else work with your own children. And that involves a lot of trust. That recalibration is something that is, is a huge lesson that we experienced as parents. And I will say me from the sidelines and, and Mark as, as a coach who came in and out of our children's lives and coached all four of them through various things, but knew at, at different moments it was time to, to let somebody step in. Do you find that you can you still can coach their minds, but coaching the skill set of the sport is probably not the best thing. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I think I wind up having a lot more conversations with them about how yeah. they go about, you know, doing what they're doing. But, you know, at, since they're all four doing sports I never played, there's a limit to my technical capacity to coach them at some point. I mean, I would say one, you know, one big recalibration is. Uh, and I think one of the most difficult things for no matter what your kids are doing in life is when your kid hits a ceiling and something they really wanted to pursue <clears throat> isn't working out for them exactly the way that they wanted it to work out, you know, and, and helping them figure out like how to adjust that in a way that feels right to them and, you know, feels like, um, feels like it's going to be <clears throat> still a good outcome, but it isn't the one that they sort of had their mindset on. And that's, I think that's really hard for, it's hard as a parent to watch your kid go through that. I think it's doubly hard for some parents because the parents are as invested in that outcome as the kids are. So the advice you'd give to a parent and the advice you'd give to coaches and the advice you would give, and I realize this is a mouthful, to um, to people who are starting a, a rec league or part of it, what, what would that be? I mean, I think those are kind of – so I'll start with the rec league answer, and I'll just say – I think the biggest thing is what we one of the things we've lost in this in this country is a sense that like youth sports are just about letting kids play, letting kids learn how to play the games and how to have fun and to be with their friends and how to be parts of teams. And when we have six and seven year olds being put on travel teams that are undermining the community, I, I just think that we've lost that. And it's and it's it's not just a loss to the kids, although it is that it's a loss to communities because communities. Um, should be built around opportunities for kids to kind of grow in, in in healthy ways. And that was a big part of what we were trying to accomplish there is not having, in, in Maplewood and Richmond Heights, is not having parents who had the resources feel like they should go play in leagues 45 minutes away, but that they should actually invest the time and energy in the communities. And so I think um, refocusing, you know, the, the per, on the purposes of why you do these things. And when your kids get older, you know, if they're really good at, something you can worry about that later and you can um, you know you can you can work within the confines and I think for you know for me at least for parents the, the key has always been um, let the kids find what they like and what they're good at um, you know and I, I talk to them a lot about say like I don't really care what it is but I want you to find something in the world that you care enough about to put the effort in to be really good at it but I don't care if that's some sport or if it's theater or if it's writing or it doesn't matter to me but I think you can learn that lesson about how to do that through sports, even if it winds up translating to something else. Agreed. Maria, you agree? Yeah, I, yeah. I do. I second so much of what Mark says. And I think that the other thing I would say in particular about 
being a parent or a family engaged in community activities and youth sports. And particularly if you're a parent that's on the coaching end or the organization end is that you need to find or create a mission that is true to a set of values that's communal and that's all encompassing because one of the things I don't think we ever talk about, interestingly, is sort of front and center with, with some of the controversies and uh, kneeling down and standing up for the national anthem is that youth sports are part of the fabric and the culture of American identity. And so much so that we actually learn a lot about civic engagement through sports. We learn a lot about how we are part of a community fabric and we are part of spaces where we belong to each other. And that's a phrase that another author uses that I, I really love. It's this idea of we belong to each other. And community sports, youth sports can teach us that and can teach not just the children that, but the families that same idea. But you have to start and you have to be true to a mission where that's front and center. That certainly be competitive and, and be excited about the game itself. I, that those thrills of the, the moment where you score the winning point or you have the you know moment where you touch the ball first or you get the touch in fencing, those are great moments and, and I don't mean to take anything away from that. But I think what you're trying to think about and what so many of us are trying to think about when we think about engaging youth and families is a larger sense of belonging and community. I, I could not agree with you more. Uh, listen, before I let you go, I, I think we need to share Mark's story just really quickly. Um, a walk-on athlete, uh, it, 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 almost Rudy-esque, dare I say that, Mark. <laughs> and, and we are actually taping this podcast uh, the day before you are to be honored as a professor uh, uh, at the Notre Dame Southern Cal game, which it doesn't get much bigger than that. So we, we congratulate you prior and by the time this airs post. Um, but just quickly, can you share your, your want to be a college football player and to play at Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I said earlier about, you know, being a parent and having to, you know, see your kids kind of hit a ceiling. And for me, that was, you know, obviously the case. I, I was not a good enough football player to play high-level Division One football. So, I, you know, the choice I made when I went to college, I could have gone to smaller schools, you know, and, and actually tried to play. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't going to get recruited at a place like Notre Dame. I wasn't a good enough player for that. And um, so I just kind of uh, went about choosing college, and I picked where I wanted to go to school and thought, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pick based on playing football. Um, and when I got about halfway through my first year of school, probably not even that long, in the, in the fall, I realized that um, so much of the way I had organized my life and the way I had sort of thought about who I was as a person was bound up in sports, which I had played, you know, my whole life. And then to have that just kind of disappear uh, was was too sudden, you know, and it was too too difficult for me to kind of figure out, you know, what to do with my time, frankly. Like, how do I do I didn't want to sit around and play Sega all afternoon, which is probably an indication of my age. That I, you know, um, but I didn't. It, it just, you know, it was there was too much of, of what I who I was as a person at that time in my life that was missing, um, and so I just thought I'm going to give it a shot and I'll try to walk on the team. I really didn't know what that would entail, and so I just kind of wandered over to the football office and asked, and then you know wound up going through a six month process to figure out if I could make it. Um, and you know, and the coach like, at the time was who? Was the Lou coach Holtz. Lou Holtz. Uh, 
you know, I'm, in retrospect, I, I'm really glad I did it. People would, used to ask me, um, you know, early when I started my academic career, how did you, how were you a full-time football player and then, you know, did well academically? And honestly, I used to say, I don't know how I would have done well academically had I not been a football player because it, it organized my life in a way that made it sort of clear when I needed to be do, focusing on what, and it, it really helped with time management, which, you know, was not necessarily a strength of mine as an 18-year-old. So, um, so I, I'm, in retrospect, I'm really glad I did it. I have um, some close friends, uh, a lot of whom I'll see this weekend, who resulted from it. Um, college football is a business, and uh, I got an up, upfront sort of view of that, and so that was a little bit, uh, you know, disheartening, and it took me a little while, I think, after I was done playing to kind of be able to enjoy just watching the game anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, when you, as you get older, what, what I say to my kids about this a lot is you learn how to sort of highlight the things that you learned out of it and, and you know, take those away from it and try not to focus so much on the other stuff. And, um, you know, one, one thing I took away from it is that uh, college football is not like youth sports. You know, youth sports are fun and they're about the kids having a good time. College football is... <laughs> is not that it's uh it is at the end of the day a, uh, a way that people wind up being close to each other from other team but it's you know that's that's not why it exists and so mm -hmm. it's i think it's it sort of redoubled my focus on you know there's a time for that and it's in college or or later but it's it's definitely not for young kids yeah well i i tell you it's funny you uh, I, I interviewed stan wilcox who you both know quite well uh, who played at Notre Dame, basketball player under Digger Phelps, and now the athletic director of Florida State. And he said halfway through his college career, he realized that uh, <clears throat> he wasn't going to play in the NBA and that life was different than he had expected, but he wanted to throw as much effort into his academics now as he did his athletics because he knew that at some point that would be the key to get him to a successful you know, position in life. And uh, it sort of echoes exactly what you're saying here. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe the summer time, the, there's a <clears throat> Notre Dame does this fantasy camp where they invite all these, uh, where people come and pay actually to uh, basically pretend to be football players at Notre Dame for a little while. And um, <laughs> some really great guys actually who come in and do this year after year, though I don't understand why they put their bodies through that at that stage of their life. Um, but I, a lot of former players. It's a guy thing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of former players come in, and I saw uh, one of my former teammates who they had just done. Um, my, one of my teammates is Ron Paulus, who is uh, my class mm -hmm. and who now is the uh, director of, I think I think it's called Player Development or something in Notre Dame. One of the things, I think Ron's done a great job in that role, and one of the things he's done really well is that they've built a kind of, um, an entire apparatus that's about teaching kids how to transition out of being, thinking of themselves primarily as football players and into thinking about what's next in their life. And, you know, the reality is that even the vast majority of, of the kids who come to Notre Dame on football scholarships are not going to get paid professionally to play football. And even if they do, it's going to be for a very short amount of time. So they need something to transition. That was not a focus that I remember when I was a student athlete here. And I really, I'm glad that Ron's doing it. One of the conversations we had though, is, you know, a lot of the guys who I was sitting at the table with who did play for a little while in the NFL, realizing when they were 26 and they couldn't play anymore or in, you know, very tiny fraction of the cases, you know, Jerome Bettis or someone who plays until they're 30 something, which is still quite young. The difficulty a lot of those guys had making that transition from thinking of themselves as a football player to thinking of themselves as something else. And I remember saying uh, to some of them, you know, the reality is that that happens to all of us as athletes. It's just that it happens earlier for some of us than it does for others. So <laughs> yeah. It happened to me as a senior in high school. 
And it, it just didn't happen to any of them until they were in college until later because they, you know, they, they could delay it because they were better than I was. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that Notre Dame has put some resources into that I'm really glad they have. Well, listen, I, I can't thank you enough, um, both of you. I, I've heard uh, it's a wonderful story that you tell. And, uh, and I know you're going to continue this work in South Bend. And that's for that's for another podcast. Uh, but for those just real quickly, Maria, for those who want to learn more about what you did in St. Louis, where can they go find that out? The best place to go is actually the Facebook group for MRH Youth Sports, or you can go to the Maplewood Richmond Heights School District and their website is quite fabulous so if you google either one of those ter terms you will get to the place to learn about youth sports and a community that we still hold dear in our hearts uh, many years later well dr maria mckenna mark mckenna thank you so much uh, what a wonderful uh 25 minutes or so that we've spent and uh, i think it'll make an impact and make a difference in what we're doing and uh, and thank you for being with us on perspectives and youth athletics you really did put things in perspective it was great having you on Right back at you. Thanks so much. To learn more about the impact of youth sports in your community and our future, visit TonySegretoSports.com. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter at TSegretoSports. I'm Tony Segreto with perspectives on youth sports. Thank you for listening.